there's a big difference between watching the news, listening to the news, and reading the news. And that's the big three of media. There's television, which now includes online video. There's radio, which now sort of includes podcasting. And then, of course, finally, there's print media like newspapers, magazines, online news magazines, and blogs. Really, you break it down to the three forms of consumption, video, audio, and the written word. And we can have a debate about which is better, but I think, well, honestly, that's wasteful. Each one of these mediums provides us with a lot of opportunity to learn about the world that we live within. Television and video provides us with powerful images. Radio requires a form of imagination as, well, we're only hearing the stories. But that medium also allows us to consume news while we do pretty much anything else, which you can't do with the other two mediums, by the way. And then, of course, the written word. It's so powerful, and it can move people to incredible action. I talked about some of that with our next guest, who started in radio but ended up in television. I, too, had a short stint in television, also in newsprint, but you know, most of my experience, most of my career has been in radio. But let's learn more about how the news is told through video. I met Sandra Gonzalez when I was working in Las Vegas. I was the host of a show called State of Nevada at KNPR. She was a reporter at KSNV, the NBC affiliate in Vegas. Sandra had an amazing career, which means she's had a lot of life experiences in this business. Sandra knows what it's like to approach a family after a tragedy. She knows how to approach authorities who want to remain tight-lipped after something happened. Her life experiences have given her this wide-ranging perspective on local and regional news and on how to produce it, how people consume it, and how people then, of course, look at us, journalists. Sandra's currently working as an associate producer for Spectrum Network's broadcast in Austin, Texas, spending a lot more time behind the camera, actually behind the screen, uh, instead of in front of the camera. She's doing a lot more work now on social media and online instead of being on air. Now, we talked about how she handles stress about her take on how to talk to people for a story and her take on the role of journalists. But we started with her journey, which again, started years ago in radio. When you got, you, you wanted to get into television um, uh-huh. what was it about television that, that was a draw for you? And then, I mean, how did you eventually finally get it? I think it's just the power of the images, you know, like I love the part and miss it of being a radio journalist where I could draw a picture in people's minds. I could describe the, uh, defendant walking into the courtroom, wearing his orange prison jumpsuit, uh, walking slowly in shackles. You know, you can describe these things. You can describe the beautiful sunset coming up over the city landscape and the bird. You can hear the birds chirping. But sometimes a video, you hear it, you see it, it's moving. Television has a very important place 
in journalism. I think the written word, the television images, and radio and podcasting are all hugely important. But I wanted to tell those stories. And while well, you can hear someone's tears, you can hear someone's anger when you're listening to the radio in your car, and, and, and radio is very personal. There's also something about the silence, the pauses, or seeing the teardrop coming down the face. Just a different medium that I really wanted to explore. So you're doing all this radio, though. What was you know what was that moment when you finally get a shot at TV? How did you how do you break in? I was very social, as you know, and when you're working in a big market like Dallas Fort Worth, there is an incredible amount of people that show up to scenes where the news is happening, not even just local news. A place like Dallas Fort Worth brings in national news. And so I'm very networkish. This is my personality. I make contacts. And a lot of the photographers were like, there's something about her. They're like, Sandra, you need to put together a demo. And so we got to talking and some of them were handing me a tape, a Sandra tape here. Every time you see me, I want you to shoot a stand-up. And then they give me the tape back. So I started collecting some stand-ups at things that weren't really what reporters were doing, but they would send a photographer to. But I thought, you know what, I can that's still video that I can work with. And I'm a really good storyteller because I'm I'm doing it in, in North Texas for potentially millions of people. I can put a television story together. I have a nice voice. I'm a good storyteller. I'm a good writer. I think I can do this. And I got a lot of no's. I, um, I was told you can't do both. You should have started earlier. You're too old to, um, to get in, in this late time of your career. I was, um, early thirties. Most people getting out of college when they go into their first small market television job or what, 23, 24, here I am behind 10 years of people my age having 10 years under their belt of television and I'm starting in like as green as can be. And I go into an editing bay with this wonderful friend of mine, his name is Dan Bach. And he wanted to make sure that helping me was above board with his news director. So he asked him, hey, there's this reporter that I want to help on my day off. Is it okay if she comes in and I put a demo together for her? So on a day off, his day off, my day off, I went in there and we pumped out, which is pretty hard to do on that kind of deadline stress. But in one afternoon, I pumped out a demo tape with three packages. I sat and wrote, the standups had been done. He saved the video. I pumped one out, I voiced one out. He put it together in the editing bay, it was hours. And the news director kept walking by the editing bay as he tells me, like I was oblivious to all of this, but he says, hey, my news director is interested in your demo. I think he's interested in something. I don't know, Sandra, I'm just letting you know. I was like, wow, like, no, I'm not ready for Dallas. He actually hired me like 
I got a call maybe a couple weeks later to be a fill-in weekend reporter. He wanted nothing else but packages. I didn't have to do any live shots, but he liked my radio work. And I think he saw that I won some awards. I was winning awards. That was a big deal. I worked at a station called WBAP. We, we submitted a lot of journalism awards. It's good for branding and bragging rights. They they like that. So I would submit things. So I had some awards and um, it was a great experience, but it was hard work because I still had my full-time radio job. So, but you know, the things you do and the sacrifices you make. So that's how I got started. And then eventually I came to the knowledge and the realization that, well, some people have started their television career in Dallas. I needed to go to a smaller market and, and really work out some of the mechanical kinks. There's, it's not just journalism, but you literally need to have the comfort level to, to talk into a camera with all those bright, bright lights on you and things that can happen. I've, I've stood in fire ants. I've had weird things happen to me in the middle of live shots. And it's like, you know, <clears throat> it's the best decision I ever made. I ended up going to Bakersfield, which is in my home state of California. And it was the best experience. I loved it. I was there for four years, but that was like my first full-time, real gritty television job outside of radio. Again, later later in life, when I had so many people tell me, you know, they tell me you just can't do it. I had somebody tell me, literally grab my face and tell me, girl, if you want to get into TV, you're going to have to lose some weight. Like, you know, just such negativity. I tried it for a little bit. And I mean, it, I'm not going to say that it, it was fun, um, but I don't know. Maybe I was just more comfortable sitting in front of a microphone. And I, I think literally like where I am most comfortable is in a studio in front of a microphone. I was always a very shy guy. And so going out and talking to people was not easy for me, but there's something weird when I'm in a studio that's gone. It's I'm a different person and I feel in control and I feel more relaxed. You're in your element. I guess that, you know, so I've said, this is where I need to be. This is my thing. But you know, when you, when you switched over to television, and I loved how you were describing it earlier. Look, you're still a storyteller, but now you're using a different medium. For you, what was that that change like for you? Because you spend a decade in radio uh, making that switch over. And how do you describe to people, the average person, like what's that process for you? When, what, what are you thinking about as you're telling a story, but you're doing it with a camera? One thing that worked for me that I found has always been a good formula for um, capturing people is personalizing it, finding somebody to tell the story through rather than just talking about it. There's like just the facts, ma'am, type reporters. And then there's the reporter who finds the person who's completely affected by the rising water rates. You know, I don't know every that's what makes journalism so great and, and having so many different faces and bylines and, and reporters and such. So we all bring something different to the table. So for me, I felt like the personalization and something emotional 
like one of one of our guru guys in journalism is L. Tompkins. He's there in Florida at um, Pointer. Is aim for the heart. It's the name of his book, and he hits the nail on the head, so to speak. I mean, you gotta you gotta make people feel, or why should they even bother watching? Like you gotta like, and it's not for the sake of making them feel, but if you're gonna have an impact. You want people to feel something, not be bored or, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's just some kind of gift. I feel that, I don't know, I, I can make people talk. People talk to me and sometimes it's too much information. Like, whoa, I didn't expect all of that. And men would cry and it was just, it was powerful. And it, it came through in television, just like it did in radio. We're talking with Sandra Gonzalez, associate producer for Spectrum Network's broadcast, and we're talking about how to cover the news through television. You can learn more about Sandra's work and her career on our page, thereporterstudio.com. Follow this podcast on most podcast apps like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music. We're also on Podbean. This podcast is a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. And you can follow us there at cityofdreamsmedia.com. Also follow me on LinkedIn at Luis Hernandez Broadcaster or on YouTube at The Reporter Studio. Now let's get back to our conversation with Sandra Gonzalez. We talked to her about what it's like to approach people, especially after a really difficult situation or maybe a tragedy. How did people respond to you? You know, you're out there on the field, you know, and maybe you're wearing your press badge, but at least if anything, I mean, they see your microphone and camera and all that. How did, how did usually people respond to you and how did you handle that? It varied because, I mean, think about it. We are there on their worst day or their best day. They don't know us. They don't think of us as humans. Um, and sometimes they do. So when there's a lot of anger, like after a murder or something in a neighborhood, I used to cover a lot of crime, especially in New Orleans, that anger has to be directed. And you come over there and you disrupt the environment just by your presence. You come in, you're dressed nice, you're carrying all this electronic equipment, there's lights. I mean, you can... Put yourself in some precarious situations and then all of a sudden the family who just lost a loved one is all of a sudden really mad at you and you're invading their property while you're out on the street clearly the street is not their property but just they get really angry at you and then like the last decade we've become some sort of a scapegoat for something in the media well what what does that mean you know, it's the media's fault. And then because they probably have never met anybody who works in the communications industry of any sort, all of a sudden you're the media and it's your fault. And so sometimes you come across that. And then sometimes you're like treated like royalty. They're so happy that you're there to tell the story and they'll roll out the red carpet and, you know, make a big deal about it. 
and they'll say, you know, Miss Gonzalez, I just love you so much from your reports. Can I get your autograph? And you're like, happy to do it for, you know, a nine-year-old girl who's got dark hair and brown skin. And she's, you know, I don't know. It just, it varied. You got to have a, you got to have a thick skin and a compassionate heart. This is hard work. It's hard mentally and emotionally because you become like this cup, right? And they pour all their pain or celebration or concern, or a lot of times we're in these chaotic situations. They're pouring that all into you. And no one even addressed that until like maybe the last decade that, you know, maybe we need to, to deal with some of this stuff. I'm very happy to see that, you know. And how have you, you know, I mean, in all the things you've seen, everything that you've, you know, as a reporter, you've reported on, you know, maybe people forget, yeah, we're humans and, and we have to. I think that's a beautiful way to say it. You know, we're just like a cup and we go home at the end of the night. We're filled with all this stuff that we had to see and constantly report. I think this is the other thing too, is like, you know, the average person, if you're tired of it, turn it off. You know, I I envy my mom because she consumes, she has a diet of news. And when she's done, when she's consumed her news, that's it. It's off. She goes on about her day. And people like you and me, we don't have that luxury every day, uh-uh. over. Every you know. day. How do you, I mean, for you over the years, what have you learned about how to how to deal with that? I learned that I couldn't professionally lose it on the air. Well, I spoke with a tender voice when it was needed, a tough voice when it was needed. When I got home, sometimes barely even getting out of the long driveway of the company where I worked, they had this long driveway. I'd barely make it to the end where you turn on the street and then the flood, just like a wash. Um, I have my own life outside of journalism. So like I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, and I'm a woman of faith. And I always have made uh, friends uh, in my church community, wherever I live, and they become my pillars. And um, that's been helpful. You know, we we all got to have something outside of this because this is hard. It's hard on your heart. It's, I'm not, not, I mean, like, it's just that too, but I mean, it's just, it's just hard. It's an emotionally exhilarating mental it's a heart not everybody can do this job i know exactly what you're saying i know exactly what you're saying um it is intense yeah there's you know i i remember um we had here in south florida it was over a period of a couple of years we had a hurricane which, you know, and I've only been through a few different like natural disasters, but the hurricane, I don't know. I, it, I haven't been through a lot of other ones, but the hurricane I think is the worst one because you see it coming and you see it coming and you're waiting and you're waiting and then you get through it and then the aftermath and it's just, it drains you. And then we had 
with again within that couple of years it was the hurricane and then it was the school shooting it was the you know the the parkland school shooting and that was so much that was just so so much and not even a month and a half later there was a uh a bridge collapse and it's just like you know and then of course last year we had you know the the surfside condo collapse I'd have to say over these last few years, like it's just been, and, and when those things happen, I don't need to tell you, but just to, to say, it's like you take a deep breath because you're like, okay, for the next few weeks or however long this is going to be, it's, this is all we're going to be talking about. And yeah, you have to find something, um, after work to, to escape yourself. That's, there's no question. Um, and I appreciate you sharing, by the way, you know, your experiences. Let's, let's switch things up a little bit. Something interesting. And you've had the chance to see this as well. And I, I wondered about one of the gigs that you had where you were working, um, I believe, uh, doing a lot of digital work. And you go from a life where you're rolling with carts and reels and the old stuff. And now everything is, is become digital and social media and all this stuff. I don't know what everything you've seen change in the business. What's the good? What's the bad? Do you like it? Has it been good for journalism? I love it. I wanted to do it before I was allowed to do it. Um, I don't know what I thought I just didn't think it was like something I wanted to do. Do you remember the first one? It was MySpace. <laughs> like the people on it were like, no, that's probably not for me. And then I remember one of my anchors talking about Facebook. I'm like, what is that? And I, you know, I've always want to know what's, what, what's the pulse and what's going on. And it was starting to, starting to spread. But I worked at a company it was like, absolutely not. And put up firewalls. There was, and it probably wasn't the only one. It just, you know, when you don't understand something. And so only certain employees had access to the internet. And I wanted to share my stories because when you move around as a journalist, you are like, in, not national, you're national. You, you got friends all over different states. And I found it by accident trying to find a roommate to go to a journalism conference. They go, well, if you want to connect, get on Facebook. And then all of a sudden I get all these friend requests and I was like, what in the world? I love this. I'm like reconnected immediately to people I hadn't talked to in forever. And so um, I wanted to find a way to be able to share my stories. And so I thought digital, digital. And immediately I started to to befriend people who were like kind of this department, maybe one or two people, that that was a high priority. And, and I, I've been doing that probably since the early 2000s. And I always wanted to make sure that I could um, have my story on the web and um, help them write it. Because I think it was just another tool for people to reach people. And a lot of the reporters were like, no, I'm not going to have any extra work to do. I'm done. My five o'clock live shot, I'm done. I'm not going to worry about the web. No way, man. And so the, 
the digital team, which was usually like one or two people, maybe three if they were lucky, were thrilled to have a reporter interested in sending them a script. And so like, I don't know, that's the way I've always been about anything new. And then it became big. Then all of a sudden we all had to get Facebook accounts and everybody wanted a blue check, right? And, and uh, you know, everybody wanted Twitter followers because if you had a whole bunch of Twitter followers, you know, you were successful. It, it didn't matter that they were from like across the, across the pond, you know, and didn't know you and they were just an egghead. It was just a matter of numbers. I don't know. It just kind of went in a weird direction, but I found it really useful and for different reasons. Like I like Twitter for news and breaking news and stuff. I find that I get a lot of great information on my feeds and it's a good place to put that. Facebook has a different a different vehicle and, and I even like Instagram and then all the other ones that have come and gone and you don't know if they're going to stay or not. And like, I, I was telling you, I love TikTok, but I, I, I wanted like the, how many things do you, you know, anyways, um, I got hired in Houston in 2017 or no, maybe it was 2018, one of those years, um, as a, uh, temporary, fill in in the digital department as a social media producer. I was really excited about it because I really love social media and um, it was hard work. I had to do something completely different and they still hired me, even though I had very little experience in it. I really trained myself real quickly how to write AP style. Okay. So, you know, uh, AP style is the newspaper way of writing. And AP, for those that are watching that are, are not in the journalism industry, it's associated press style writing, newspaper print writing for the eye. But in broadcast, we write like we talk. It's it's more conversational, shorter, and there's there's different rules, you know, like in broadcast, we'll say so-and-so says, and in print, it's like D-D-D-D-D, comma, quote, said, D-D-D, da-da-da. It's just, it's a little different, but it's still storytelling. And so my gosh, what a whirlwind of deadline stress, excitement, but man, that was one great digital department, Luis, and they did everything. They had Facebook lives, they had live streaming, they had their own digital studio so people could come in and then they will, Sandra, you've been on TV, can you interview so-and-so? And I would do it just for the web. And then they were teaching me how to do stories on Instagram which was kind of neat because then you can do them in four parts and then it, it promotes the television story. Um, lots of stuff. They, they're doing a really great job. I loved being part of it. And so I was there for a while and, and it was what an experience. And they'd send me out with my phone and my phone was to follow one, one time. It was a lot of fun. Um, from NBC, uh, they came down, uh, I can't think of his name right now. He's a, a news anchor. Um, he came, Lester, Lester Holt. And he came down to do a story on um, the origin of fajitas in Houston. It was a really fun day. And I was paid to go follow him. And, and you know, he was in Houston making Houston shine on, you know, the NBC, uh, all of their platform. And, um, I loved that job. It was great.
You're listening to The Reporter Studio, a production from City of Dreams Media Incorporated, a podcast about the news media told by members of the news media. I'm your host, Luis Hernandez, and today we're interviewing Sandra Gonzalez, associate producer for Spectrum Network's broadcast in Austin, Texas. We're going to get back to our conversation with Sandra about life in television news media because she has some unique things to say about diversity in the newsroom. But before we return to that conversation, I want to introduce you to another podcast that's coming out this summer from the same company. It's called Planet Earth 2072. Further into the future, things are going to become more and uncertain. The are here are going to be concentrated on the high ground. And that's going to result dense. in a significant sea level rise maybe Tackle this issue and address it in a meaningful way we're seeing by events that we can't predict your friends we can project things and then that's five six seven people here and the chain group that is more privileged and that is not dealing with climate effects on a regular anybody basis. to be suspicious of people who claim to know what miami will look like in 10 or 20 years let alone 50 years No one can guess what exactly will happen in 50 years, except that South Florida will likely not look much like it does today. The oceans will have risen, flooding will be a bigger challenge, and things are likely to be hotter. Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, we ask the question, what will Miami look like in 50 years? What will happen and how will we prepare? We spoke with researchers, politicians, and advocates about their fears for the future. You know, it's going to be harder to anticipate what is going to happen from day to day. And the people who are here are going to be concentrated on the high ground in very dense urban landscapes. And that's going to result in a significant sea level rise, maybe adding 20% to those numbers I just gave you. We also spoke with members of Gen Z. We can project them, but we really don't know what this climate catastrophe is going to look like. No matter what, that's not in your control. And I think that, you know, for acknowledging the problem now, we can definitely stop it from becoming much worse. We want to better our society, naturally. I think everyone does. The question of the future, what can we expect? Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, comes out June 2022. learn more about planet earth 2072 on the website which is called planetearth2072.com or on facebook of the same name that podcast is coming out later in june now let's get back to our conversation with journalist sandra gonzalez from spectrum network broadcast and she shares with us about the way people see journalists what we can do to improve the way people see us and she also talked to us about how sometimes we the reporters have to be part of the story. It, there, I'll be the first to admit that, I mean, there's a lot that I'm still trying to learn 
And, and of course the challenge is, is that, you know, working in radio, it's like, you know, how, how do we translate that sometimes into, you know, like into social media? Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not, but here's a, it, one, one question that I'm, I want to hear from you about is one of the challenges obviously that we face as journalists is that, you know, especially with Facebook and Twitter is there is so much misinformation because obviously now anybody could post. And I don't remember where I saw this, but I think the last thing I saw was a couple of years ago was for every story that a journalist will post that's accurate and true, there's like eight or nine stories that are that are false, that are lies. And so it, 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 it's, I mean, maybe it affects me and I feel like, I feel like I'm climbing a hill here. Like no matter what I do, there's 10 times as much baloney out there and and it's a hard climb it's a hard fight i don't know how do you feel about that it's out there it's on the web it's it's disguised as news they use they use bylines they put out information and people were like they're looking for something that might already feel where they're kind of already believing and so they'll they'll repost it as gospel and it's, it's kind of dangerous because sometimes people who are just like not even connected actually will believe some of this stuff and it's, it's not accurate. And it's like one of my goals is to help people understand news literacy, you know? And then sometimes that's challenging because we have a growing mindset that all journalists have some kind of agenda, a political agenda. And, you know, therefore we can't read or listen to this thing and that thing because they're behind a certain candidate. Oh. So it's, it's a challenge and, and we, and as an industry, we need to keep fighting to help people understand how to get accurate information be better news consumers and we have to do a good job. You know what? That leads me to my last two questions is what, what could we be doing better as journalists to help people understand who we are and what we do? And it's not about being popular because in, in, you know, it, uh, someone I talked to recently said, you look, we're not, it's not a popularity contest. We're here as watchdogs and sometimes they're not going to be liked for that. But but at least to help people understand, you know, what we really do, you know, what's our purpose? Is there something we're not doing right in, in getting the message across? A couple of things come to mind. First of all, we need to diversify our newsrooms. We need to be bringing in a different, more rich culture of people with different perspectives to tell stories that need to be told. We can't be telling the same old, same old. We can't be reaching the same experts. We need to do a better job of that. There's a lot of things going on in the world that are never covered. We have a lot of invisible communities that we need to make visible. We as journalists, we as decision makers, we as newsroom leaders, and we need to start showing other perspectives. Stop making things so black and white or two-sided. Start showing things in shades of gray. There may not be a solution. 
we need to let people know we, we're so hugely important. And, you know, some people say we're the fourth branch. In, in a way, think about it. How did we find out about some of the most historic events in the world? Because of a journalist. How do we know that a hurricane is coming? Did we find that on a blog? No. A news media company was on top of it with extremely credible journalists, meteorologists, people bringing life and death information. The newsrooms are crucial during crisis. How do we find out about missing children? How do we find out about, I mean, so much important information. We're there for them for the elections. Where do they turn to get election results? Who's gonna be in the courtrooms? Are they gonna spend hours? No, they depend on us. We're vital. We're a vital, thriving industry. And with all the things going on in the world and with all this technology, at least we're global. Everything that happens on the other side of the world has direct impact on the United States and probably someone in our own hometown. You know what, and what you said leads me to my last question. In all the years you've been in the business, um, are we doing a better job being diverse? Have we gotten better? I'd like to think we're making strides somehow, right? Or no? I, I see it. We could do a better job, but I'm seeing it. What I'd like to see is a different change in more changes in the managerial level. We have a lot of boots on the ground. We have a lot of diverse people in the front lines doing the hardcore journalism. But they're, they're like, if you think of it as a military, maybe in a chain of command, they're the soldiers, right? You know? I always say I'm out there in the trenches. That's kind of like a soldier-ish kind of thing to say with all the years that I was reporting. Um, I'm, I'm producing now, so I'm, I'm wearing a different hat, and I, and I like it. I'd, I'd like to see more uh, people of different backgrounds in management. Good leaders. Good leaders. You know, leaders don't even need a title. If you're um, a go-to person, you're a leader. So I hope, I hope we see some of those changes and, and I, I'm always pushing to bring in fresh blood, newer generations, because there's so much going on in the world and there's so much corruption and there's so much being not told to us that we, that we need some good journalists. We really do. We got to bring them in and we got to keep them. We're losing them. They're getting out of the industry within five years. They're not lasting as long as we'd love them to. You know what? That Thank you for saying that. And, and if I may, is, you know, in your experience, how long does the average person stay and why, why are they leaving? I mean, how you've stuck around, how I've stuck around as long as we have. But, you know, what do you see? I think it's my personality. I'm a very stick to it person. I'm very resilient, strong woman, strong personality. Yet you, you just make things work. You make things work in your fishbowl. I find that they just, it's, it's hard on them mentally. And they just want, they just want a break. They want to try something else. It is hard. 
it's a really hard job. Not everybody can do this. It's hard. It's, it can be very fulfilling and, and it can be emotional and exhilarating, depressing. It goes up and down. Like you were saying, Luis, the mass shootings. One of them happened in Fort Worth when I was a radio reporter, marked me for life. It was my first experience with it. A gunman went into the Wedgwood Baptist Church and I lived that for three weeks straight. Now these things are so common. Our, our reporters, and we call them MMJs, the ones who shoot and edit their own stories, they're, they're, they're thrust into the protests, they're thrust into the political anger, they're being yelled at, they're being, they're, they're, they feel like probably threatened by violence a lot, especially during you know some of the protests they cover. And I remember being really afraid for crews during the political campaign when I worked at some of the stations, the crews were being threatened by some of the supporters. You know, what we saw happening to the media on January 6th, it's a hard job. I understand it. I see a lot of people getting out and doing things in the communications industry, just not journalism. And I feel sad because some of these people were phenomenal reporters, like, don't leave us. Don't leave. Stay. No, you're right. No, no, that's, and I think, like I said, I think that's why I've, a lot of the times I, I really appreciate being in a studio. I actually don't want to let you go before, because you said this to me and, and, and this is a beautiful point too, is, you know, there's the idea of what a journalist is supposed to be, which is, you know, objective and we're not part of the story. We have to stay uh, distant and disconnected and, in some cases, okay, yeah, but uh, there are a lot of journalists who are part of the story, and I don't think that's a there's anything wrong with that, depending on the story. But you were telling me that this happened to you at one point. It's happened to you many times, but there was a story you wanted to tell me. Last year, one year ago, we got a storm, which you know is nothing to probably people in the east or the north, but for Texas. The temps were historically low. And there was the big ice storm, the big snow ice storm that you had in Texas that covered a big part of Texas. And then there was a big power mm -hmm. outage. We thought it was going to be like a couple of days. They said, hey, Sandra, pack a, an overnight bag if you want, maybe an extra set of clothes just in case. The girl in me packed three. They kept us at a hotel because we were really going to have very icy roads, which is super dangerous to drive in. And when you're not used to that, you don't know, and you're going to have a lot of, a lot of bad things happen, wrecks and deaths and such. We didn't think about the grid. We didn't think about the impact on the water system. So it was uh, the weekend before Valentine's. I walked out of my home with a suitcase thinking I'm coming back in a couple of days. I never came back. It was destroyed. It uh, it froze. Everybody lost power, almost everybody. There were parts of Texas that had a better situation, but most of Texas depended on the main grid that went down. And here's millions of heat. There's millions of people with no heat. They were trying to make sure they could get in their car to turn the heater on to stay alive and 
we lost our water. The water systems went down because it's dependent on electricity, and that was a whole mess. So we had the frozen, and then in the thaw, we needed water. And then the pipes, because when we do our weather stories, we say the three or four Ps, the pipes, the pets, something else, the plants, the pipes were bursting all over Texas. And it caused such horrible damage, like fire causes damage, well, so does water. My home was destroyed from the top down. And I worked many years and covered the story of Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana. Their waters rose. So they had a lot of water damage from a different way. Mine was from the top down. And I learned from them it's just stuff, but it was emotional. So assessing all that damage has been challenging. The mildew, the memories, the mold, working with insurance companies, living in hotels for weeks and covering the story. It's very, and it's good though, you know, we go through these things because then we have empathy for other people that are going through it because we, we're humans too. We have families, we're not just the job, we're people. Sometimes we're not seen that way, but we're humans too. But I'm getting through it. Got a new home, I'm trying to think of the, the, um, the lemonade out of all of this new home, new possible, new things. Got to buy some new things. And you, you keep moving. You keep moving forward. You get stronger. Uh, that You know, I have a couple friends and some family in Texas. I'm glad you're doing all right. Well, Sandra, it's such a pleasure. And I really appreciate you sharing so much with us today. And thanks for being in the reporter studio. I've enjoyed our chat. Thanks for inviting right. me. You've been listening to The Reporter's Studio. I'm your host, Luis Hernandez. This is a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. And you just heard our conversation with Sandra Gonzalez, associate producer for Spectrum Networks Broadcast out of Austin, Texas. And what a great point she makes there at the end. You know, that we are also people. And we experience a lot of the same problems and struggles and tragedies and pain that most people experience. And that needs to help us get better at telling those stories. It helps us to build that empathy with our audience. Remember to share your thoughts about this podcast or any episode of The Reporter Studio at thereporterstudio.com. Find us on YouTube at The Reporter Studio. There you can watch the videos of these interviews that I'm doing. And download the podcast on your podcast app. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Podbean. I want to hear from you, by the way. I want to go back to a conversation I had with David Plassus of the Tennessean. He reminded me that only one in five Americans has ever met a journalist. Well, regardless of what you may think of the news media, what question do you want to ask this journalist? Connect with me on LinkedIn at Luis Hernandez Broadcaster or again at TheReporterStudio.com. By the way, I'm also on Medium at The Reporter Studio. Well, coming up next week on the podcast...
uh, war correspondent who I started following before I started doing this said that there was these sort of three phases that war correspondents go through. And the first one was like the Superman phase where it's like, I can do anything and I'll never be harmed. And then the second one was, I can do most things, maybe I'll be harmed. And then the third one was, something will happen to me if I stay here any longer. We talk with Alex Pena, producer at CBS Reports Documentaries. The Reporter Studio is a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. I'm Luis Hernandez. I'll talk to you next week.